everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Actually You Like. Today I have a good friend today, Robbie Ledson. How are you doing? Doing good, man. How are you? I'm good. Um, you're someone who, I like, within the past two years, I was like, oh, I got to get him on because you had an interesting path in an overlap in psychology, but then also just an overlap in when we both did. We worked at the gym together. Yeah. That was <laughs> that was always fun. Um, great times there. <laughs> mostly great times there. Um now my question just just for warming up today is speaking of warm-ups you did distance and track yeah, yeah um i did field and the the, the short race you know actual hurdles and, okay. and sprints and yeah. relays and stuff yeah who are the who are the biggest babies in track and field out of all the sports Ooh. <laughs> let me think high jumpers could be pretty babyish. um but honestly, though, like on my team, they were pretty cool. We didn't have a whole lot of like male high jumpers, yeah. So it was like, can't really call the females babies, yeah. like about that. And they were usually multi, you know, talented people mm -hmm. as well. But I'd say for like my team specifically, high school and college, the sprinters were definitely the biggest babies. Um, yeah, that was because we'd have to do like indoor practices sure. and stuff, like running through the hall of school. We? Yeah. Because it was too cold for them, sure. like in the winter times in Alabama, where the low was like thirty-five. So, you know, too cold for them. I. It's interesting. I was gonna say sprinters, like they'll be like, "Oh yeah, my my hammy's out," and yeah. So they're just chilling the whole practice. Oh And yeah. then you got like everyone else who's competing, trying to compete, and they look over. I remember in track in high school when. You know, I'd be dying after like a four hundred yeah. sprint, and I look over the throwers, <laughs> and they were just chilling, yeah. like just they, hanging they out. They usually got like McDonald's or they something do. that they're just like munching on. It's they like honestly, always... I can't blame them. Like I would have, I would have done it too if I was I don't a thrower. Know but how they got the McDonald's <laughs> at all of these meets, yeah. but they always had some, and it was just I'd be like, all right, <laughs> and then they take a separate bus home. Like they didn't want to stay for yeah. the rest of it. Yeah, like that was always like the wildest part because it's like meanwhile being a distance guy and i've always had a very like sensitive stomach in general so mm -hmm. i'd be over there like starving right. having had like my bowl of oatmeal at like yeah, of course 7 30 that morning yes, they like. <laughs> and i won't have anything probably until i get home other than maybe like a bar or something yeah you know if i had enough time between events but yeah the throwers were always like funny because they'd just be over there just munching the Chilling. whole time Go I love do it. their thing for like thirty minutes, come back yeah. and chill, and then go home. And I love, I respect it. Oh, I'm yeah. not mad 100%. at all. Like I, I just wish I could do that, but yeah. you know, I'm trying not to throw up. Yeah. most of the yeah, time. Yeah, that's me. Um, so we have that in common. But I also just wanted to have you on because you have a very interesting view. Like I said, we have an overlap in our psychology world. So, um, can you give a little bit of intro? You're no longer in school. You're yeah. an adult, which yeah. is scary. Yeah, it's terrifying. <laughs> But um, when you were in school, uh, what was your major? So I was a major in psychology with a minor in sociology. Mm -hmm. And then grad school? And then grad school, I just completed my master's in kinesiology with a concentration in sports psychology and motor behavior. I can now say that I have a master's in kinesiology without ever taking a college-level anatomy course. Oh. I'm sure so many people are rattled yeah. <laughs> listening yeah. because I was going to say my kines friends are just 
constantly stressing about it. Oh yeah, and you're chilling. And I've never had to take one. I don't even. I actually, I actually don't even think I've ever took one in high school either. So, no anatomy. Had one chemistry in undergrad, and that was it. So if someone's like, "Oh yeah, my tibia," you're like, "Yeah, yes, <laughs> man, I can, I can work with you on like how to deal with that pain, sure. but nothing to treat it or you know make it better." But yeah. that's that's where I, I'm in the mind. So yeah, the mind part of that because. And this is something that I, I always like to reiterate: the mind and the body are always interconnected. Oh yeah, always. people try treat them separately, try to think of them as separate things. Yeah, the, the mind is the body, and the body is the mind. Exactly. Um, so have, have you've seen that in your line of work at all, or? Oh yeah, one hundred. I mean, honestly, like kind of in my line of work. So my my philosophy is that all humans are performers. Okay. Not necessarily just athletes. Like my degree is in sports psychology, but something I found is that what I was learning can be applied to basically just daily life mm -hmm. for the average person. So, you know, whether that is, you know, an athlete struggling, you know, with, you know, their confidence or something sure. like that, or maybe, you know, you're kind of in a slump at work. I mean, you're performing at work, right? Mm -hmm. You know, it's not just like you kind of just go in and, you know, leave and, you know, nothing done, like yeah. there's no stress, there's no anything. Yeah. It's like, no, there's all these other components that we see in athletes as well that we encounter in our daily lives. And that's something that I always, that I was really passionate about and wanted to work on. And I, I do appreciate that um, because, like, yeah, like you said, it, it is never just, oh, I'm done yeah. competing with that. I'm not, I'm going to close the book. I'm gonna, you know, just live out the rest of my life. Yeah, like, exactly. and that, that's hard for some people to deal with. Um, your role in particular, you work at Mental Armor yep. um, as a mental performance coach, yep. which sounds really cool. Yeah, um, it's, it's, a, it's a fancy title um, that's derived from a much fancier title because <laughs> I can't technically call myself a sports psychologist sure. um, because I don't have a license in psychology. Sure. I'm not yeah. clinical in any way. Um, but uh, so we have to use the term mental performance consultant slash coach. I prefer coach. Right. Um, particularly when I'm working with like athletes and also like even when I'm working like a lot of my clientele right now is like kids. Uh huh. They know what a coach is. Yeah, anyone could be a coach. Yeah, they yeah. don't know what a consultant is. That's a adult term. That's yeah. kind of scary. So that's one of those things that it's like where I've kind of had to like think about how I was kind of building my own brand was mm -hmm. like, how am I going to reach the most people? Sure. And, yeah. You know, um, naming and you know, kind of identity with that. So, being a, a mental performance coach for me felt a lot more natural, a lot more comfortable. Mm -hmm. um, even for me too. So. Just being able to say, hey, I'm a mental performance coach. It's like, oh, okay, like, what is that? Yeah. Um, I think, like you are saying, with, with kids in particular, um, you know, I was a, a track coach for, like, K through fourth graders. Yeah. I was, like, 17. Like, yeah. they don't, but the, the coach, all right, I respect that. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. They know what they're talking about. Yeah. No, not. <laughs> not, not most of the time, no. Yeah. Um, but... We, even without like an actual clinical degree in psychology, there are some very important topics that I, I really wanted to have you on. Yeah. Uh, if you want to give some insight into this, just because you know, like we read about them, but you've actually like walked the walk. Yeah. You know, you, so um, the first one, optimal performance. Okay. Yeah. Um, what does that mean for you, and what does that mean for like an actual athlete? Yeah. So, optimal performance for me looks like 
I mean, we look at it from like a holistic approach. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, you have the background in psychology too. The three basic psychological needs, right? Um, belonging. Sure. So, you know, connectedness, things like that, feeling like you're a part of something. Um, competency, so feel like you know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And I'm actually already blanking on the third one. <laughs> uh, so, competency. Connectedness and... Wow. I don't know it either, so I... Yeah, <laughs> um, man, I can't believe I just blanked on that, but... You're good. Man, that's bugging me now. It's all good. We, um, can, if we I can Google it or something. Yeah, uh, yeah, we might just have to Google that one real quick. Um, but basically, what I see with that is kind of like just the thriving, you know? If an athlete or even, you know, a person is thriving, all three of their basic psychological needs are met. Sure. Um then the environment for optim optimal performance uh -huh. is there. Okay. So it's not necessarily always connected to, you know, the physical attributes, right? That's kind of where the competency comes okay. in a little bit. Yeah. You know, it's like, like for me, for example, it's like when I was in high school running, you know, I knew I could go out and, you know, do the run, do the workouts. That mm -hmm. wasn't like a problem for me or anything connectedness I had some of my best friends there right yeah. there was like some of these other things that you know were causing me stress you know whether that was school or just life in general and so having those three things met within kind of just your uh, your own kind of microcosm is a much better recipe for that optimal performance okay um, and so that is also something that well it's hard because even if those three things are being met, that doesn't mean that people are oh, constantly no. performing, right? No, no, for sure. So they have to then step up to the plate to then not just feel comp or not just be competent, but also feel competent, feel like they got it under control, have yeah. some confidence, have some swagger yeah. into it. Um, where does like stress come in to optimal performance? Because you want some. You want some yeah. stress, right? Yeah, but you sure. also don't want to be overburdened by for it. For sure. Yeah. And then that becomes kind of a thing that was kind of fun to learn about. So this concept of like arousal. Yes. And that's, you know, stress arousal, especially in a sports term is typically, when we're not talking about like clinical stress, right? Okay. Stress and arousal are pretty, you know, similar. Um, you know, basically what is your optimal level of stress? What is your optimal level of arousal? Um, and that was something that was really cool. I learned in like my first semester here at UT yeah. um, was kind of really gauging that. And first we had to take like that inward step, right? And so I would think back to like my high school days when like my, my best performances and I'm sitting there thinking, I'm like, okay. And I'm putting these kind of feelings on a scale of like uh -huh. one to 10. So, you know, whether that's, um, you know, nerves you know butterflies like I, I wanted to have a little bit of that you know mm -hmm. I was always one of those people it's like if I wasn't nervous I didn't feel like I cared right? yeah so you know let's say like my nerves I would want to be on a you know a controlled like six out of ten you know okay. got some jitters but once the gun goes off that's just all going to turn into adrenaline anyway right. so nothing to write home about there um anger I wanted to be at like a one mm -hmm. I've run angry I've run pissed off and it's never worked out for right me. Some people like that, mm -hmm. um, like to run with a little bit of angst. Uh, there's a professional runner that I listen to. He also does a podcast. Um, he's a phenomenal runner, 347 in the mile. Um, yeah, very fast. 
and uh, he talks about he runs almost purely on angst. Like his pissed off runs are typically his best. Interesting. So if he's had a bad breakup recently, he tends to run better that next race. <laughs> Coming from what I know in the sports psychology world, I don't see that being a very sustainable thing. I was gonna say, how yeah. you can't keep replicating yeah, that. Yeah, he might he might have you know some short term success, but in the future he's probably gonna want to learn how to control some of that and sure. you know maybe harness that you know yeah. anger a little bit or. You know, try to find maybe a replacement. You know, yeah, things like that. And and I, I appreciate you bringing up arousal because um, these optimal zones of performing, I yeah. think, is like the technical term. Yeah, is like part of the reason why we don't feel the urge to do things and like actually procrastinate because yeah. it's either too much stress burning us or it's not enough for us to care. And yeah, I think exactly. Yeah, and so we see that with you know, like our our everyday. You know this i'm not doing that assignment it takes you know it's gonna that email is gonna take me two minutes yeah i don't care yeah but i'm not gonna do it now and it's gonna add stress later exactly um and so you've seen that more in a how okay what is the best conditions to train in to perform in uh in training do you replicate that kind of stress or is it like you want a calm state where people can train it and like make practice perfect or whatever yeah so and this actually kind of covers a little bit of like the motor learning and motor behavior sure. side of you know our field and that's something that we would call like you know creating you know game-like conditions race-like okay. condi performance conditions right so typically that just depends on the demands of the sport on the demands okay. of the performance so um I've been working with uh, Maryville College down the road, mm. and we've been working with them, and we work through their football season. They're very fast-paced. It's boom, 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 boom. Okay. Because you have to be quick. I mean, you have 40 seconds between plays. Sure. Right? And so, um, and that goes for, like, offense, defense, you know, swapping out personnel, swapping out special teams, things like that. So, in practice, they usually have to be kind of on the hop with that stuff. Um in between drills and you know they have like a lower field and an upper field so you have people running up and down these right. things constantly so um and then maybe you know someone i don't know let me think something probably like i don't know curling we'll just yeah. go with something like that it's like there may be some crowd noise at an event but it's not typically something where you're probably going to be one like super fired up super fast okay. paced at right. you know when you're practicing right um and then something that I always tell, especially like basketball athletes too, um, something that they can kind of do to give themselves that little bit of extra uh, game-like, you know, conditions, wear like headphones or have like a speaker with crowd mm -hmm. noise when they're shooting like free throws or something. You know, just adding in those little things that, you know, you don't want to make it like a war zone for your practice. Right. But when we think of sport, we don't typically think of, you know, the library either, you know, uh -huh. so... If you're going to be performing under somewhat stressful conditions, you want to mimic those and practice as often as you can. Mm -hmm. So that way you can, you know, get used to them. Yeah. How do you find, and I know, like, there's this really cool, like, it's not a bell curve, it's a U-curve, where you need, yeah, arousal's the best at the mi the middle, yeah. at the very highest, because after that's too much, and before that's not enough. Yeah. Um, why, like, I remember at least just, like, in my sports growing up, it was, like, I mean, this never happened to me, but it was like, oh, you're going to go till you throw up. Or yeah, like, yeah. It, is that, is there any, what is that? <laughs> like so pushing people past their points. It's funny. What, like what you described there is like, yeah, like 
the arousal, you know, it is basically kind of like a bell curve kind yeah. of. Um, but there's so many other models to look at mm -hmm. than just that. Um, one that I can think of in particular is uh, it's called the cusp catastrophe model. Okay. It's actually used in like theoretical physics and it's hey, also used in right. like, a, like um, some mathematical stuff as well. But honestly, when you break it down, it looks pretty similar. It almost looks like a, um, a wave. Okay. So you've got kind of that bell curve, but then it comes back in. Sure. And that little spot where it dips off the and pointy. falls, yeah, that yeah. point where it falls off is, you know, your cusp. And that is when you go from, you know, having an optimal performance to, like, catastrophic performance okay. failure, basically. Um, so it's not necessarily just, like, a sim as simple as a bell curve. Like, you're basically falling off the performance right. at that point. Um, and so, you know, looking at something like the example you said, you know, you're going to go until you throw up, you know, I think there's benefits to having, you know, really hard days sure. and stuff like that. And that gets into another point of um, motor behavior called uh, deliberate practice. Okay. Um, something that my professor, my motor behavior professor told us is all practice should be purposeful mm -hmm. once you get to a certain age, like after early middle school, maybe early high school, you stop kind of having play, you start having practice, okay. right? So all practice should be purposeful, some practice should be deliberate. Mm -hmm. And deliberate, um, there's several principles of it, I can't think of all of them off the top of my mm -hmm. head, but one of the main ones is it pushes your limits. Yeah. You can't push your limits every single day. Sure. Like, you're, that is the recipe for burnout. And that's what we're starting to see a lot more is a lot of these old world, these kind of like old views on training and practice yeah, yeah. and all these things are like just not sustainable. Right. You know, these people just can't have the long careers right. necessary for, you know, performance. And that's something that people are starting to take a lot more notice into. It's like, oh, okay, I can't have people running until they throw mm -hmm. up, you know, every day. That's that's not gonna end and, well for anybody. And I, I'm sure that there's some someone out there where we're like, oh yeah, well these athletes are just too soft. <laughs> yeah, no, um, <laughs> that's that's very far from the case. I mean, could there be athletes that are you know quote unquote too soft? Sure, you know, right. like you do need to be pushed, mm -hmm. but, but it needs to be done in a healthy and constructive way. Yeah. You don't tear someone down just to tear them down right there has to be a build back up right yeah i mean think of like your muscles you know like when you lift weights what are you doing you're like you're you know tearing, tearing your muscles. fiber yeah what do you do afterwards gotta rest rest protein the proper things need to go back into mm -hmm. it and that's where you know kind of what i was talking about earlier these things these psychological needs that we have they come back into this kind of manner right here is yeah you're giving that connectedness that competency you know telling them Hey, I know today was a really damn hard day, but you killed it. Mm -hmm. We're gonna rest, you know, the next two or three days, right. and we're gonna come back. Yeah. Then it's like, okay, like I don't have to stress about these next two or three days, right? Yeah. Um, and that and that's something, kind of an example, something that I actually wrote about in a uh, paper on deliberate practice was, there's this phenomenal uh, professional distance coach. He's coached numerous world record holders, world champions, Olympians. Uh, Renato Canova, he's an Italian coach, but he's based out of Kenya, works with really anybody wow. okay. who wants to work with him. But one of his things that he builds into, especially marathon training, is called the special block. Okay. It's one day, 
with two main training sessions and you very rarely have people do more than one like workout style run in a day so something that's like threshold or faster um but he has his athletes do a you can find this on youtube actually under um sweat elite renato canova special uh-huh. block super interesting you can find both the am and the pm session am session was 10k at you know tempo ish for these athletes so for these athletes who are 210 and faster marathoners right. we're doing a 10k so 6.2 miles in about 31 minutes so controlled but enough to get the lungs burning five minutes rest then 10 to 12k again yeah same thing rest all day then come back for an evening session 10k and then hop into the van drive over to the track and do speed work Mm. so for them it was 10 by 1k to 1200 at pretty fast wow I think for them it was 432 mile pace, something like okay. that. Um, so, I mean, you're looking at right then, not you know, not including warm ups, cool downs, anything. Right there is something like a 40 kilometer day. Mm. You know, over. That's about a marathon. Right. And that's just a training day. But how Canova does this is up front. There's at least two days recovery from the last workout. Uh-huh. Then there's at least two, if not three or four days after the special block. Yeah. So he's letting his athletes build back up. And he never does this special block just out of the blue. They know it's coming. Sure. They know that they are going to be prepared for it. He doesn't just have them, you know, take a year off of training <laughs> and then it's like, oh, hey, special block. Right. Not, yeah. You know, like these guys are in pretty great shape. And he usually does this to kind of prep for a marathon that's within the next probably month. Yeah. So um, they're usually already kind of in peak performance shape. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of like a one last test. So that's an example of like a, a deliberate practice. Right. Because I remember growing up, and this this is what sticks with me, my, my coach when I was probably eight or nine yeah. in football was practices make perfect, perfect practice makes perfect. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if there's – I mean, that was – that's – you know, not not necessarily scientific anymore, but it's like you want to be, you, you like just saying you're practicing or yeah. just saying you're doing something doesn't mean you're actually doing it. You have to be intentful with how you're doing it. You yeah. have to find the ways that best work for you, yeah. um, work for your own body, work for your own stress levels and like cognitive skills, or yeah. else there's because it's not a one size fit approach. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Um, and honestly, like I'd even say practice makes excellence okay Um, you know excellence is you know something that you can actually strive for you know it's it's kind of a vague term it's not a you know perfection perfection in sport especially is a myth okay you can't be perfect you know i mean i guess you could say bowling you can bowl a perfect game sure but i'm sure even if you ask those guys you know or those guys or gals you know it's like you ask them oh like you bowled a perfect game all right and it's like, oh, well, you know, my wrist rotation was just off yeah, on this one. Yeah. And it's like, okay, so it wasn't a perfect, you know, yeah. performance, right? And so, you know, like, 
and that's really kind of the only thing I can think of where you know you can kind of have a perfect performance, mm-hmm. right? Um, on, at least on no hitter, on, maybe. At, yeah, maybe a no hitter or something. But even then, you probably still ask, you know, th- those people. It's like, yeah. oh, you know, that person still got connection, but it was sure. a great play made but, in the outfield. Right. Yeah, you know, yeah, that's yeah. not even that's not even him. Yeah. Or, you know, not even you know the pitcher on that. So mm-hmm. <clears throat> things like that, and so that's where I feel like excellence is kind of something that you can really strive for, not necessarily perfection. Right. You know, you're you're spitting out like great T-shirt ideas. Yeah. You know that, right? Yeah. Like you've had like four different quotes where I was like, you should yeah. put that on a hat and yeah. like sell it. And probably none of them are actually my own. I'm pretty sure oh, the whatever. practice makes excellence. I'm pretty sure was my one of my other professors, Doctor Zakrishak, <laughs> brilliant lady. She's my my girlfriend's advisor uh, for PhD. So I love it. Brilliant lady. Um, so speaking of no hitters, there's another idea I wanted to talk to you about yeah. that's pretty big this idea of flow um I, I this is something that i've looked at with like positive psychology yeah. but like it, when i hear like people are like oh yeah don't talk to the pitcher like you're gonna he's in the zone right now it that that seems like something that's different than like flow i don't know but what's what have you worked with flow do you know so yeah um flow is something i was always super interested in because especially being a distance runner you know we always hear about like runners high yeah like i've experienced like runners high and i would consider that being kind of in a flow state okay so really kind of the definition of flow is um the challenge of the performance meets your preparedness so okay i come back to that competency right. part of it right you're prepared for the challenge and it's just basically at that threshold of like too much mm-hmm. and too little there's like the finest line in sport right okay there. um and so when we get into a flow state it's gonna feel effortless okay and so it's like you know, the pitcher may be in the zone, but mm-hmm. they may not necessarily be, like, in flow. Okay. Um, I mean, and they very well still could be, you know. Sure. So, but, I mean, I don't know if throwing a no-hitter is ever going to feel effortless, though. Mm-hmm. So, that's kind of where being in the zone, quote-unquote, versus, like, being in flow, being, like, a more scientific term. Okay. Kind of differentiate each Cause other. Because this is, this is a scientific thing that, like, anyone can get in the flow yeah. of anything. And yeah. like you, you see it with like musicians who are yes. just playing their heart out and yeah. to them, time, space, everything yeah. goes away. It's just about them yeah. and the music. So anyone can enter the flow and this is an actual scientific thing. Um, yeah. How would you say it's different than like getting in the zone though? I mean, like whenever I hear like kind of being in the zone or like getting into the zone, sure. it's just like basically kind of getting into the right, you know, mental state. Okay. mental and physical state which you know can still kind of sound a little bit like flow but where i would still draw the line is flow is something that kind of happens okay you can prepare for it you can do all these things and it can still not happen right right like you can be in the best shape of your life you know the most confident you've ever been and still not really hit a flow state mm-hmm. um whereas like in the zone I don't know, and people, this is kind of just my definition, is like, is kind of something that you're kind of creating for yourself, right? You know, you know the type of music you listen sure. to warm up, the type of warm up you do, these kind of things. And those things can also contribute to a flow state, mm-hmm. but not, not necessarily. A square is a rectangle, not a yeah, rectangle ex- square. Exactly, yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, and I, I think one of the things is like, not even thinking. Yeah. Right? In the zone, like, you're, you're, you're concentrating you're in 
the moment, yep. you're not out of it like you would be in the flow. Yeah. Not like, of course, not paying attention, but like in the flow, it's effortless. Yeah. yeah. It's coming and going. You don't even realize yeah. that. It, it's free flowing. You know, yeah. like you just kind of feel like the performance is just happening. Yeah. Um, and like, like I said, is like, you know, being a runner, I've felt that before. Um, like I can think of the example I thought of whenever I was covering this in class was um, my last ever state championship mile was my last or 1600 sure. meter um, had a big goal. I wanted to, you know, get under 440 for uh -huh. the mile. I was in great shape. You know, it was a perfect day, you know, perfect conditions. It was abnormally cool for sure. May in, you know, Gulf Shores, Alabama. <laughs> yeah. Um, so everything was there for it to happen. You know, I did all my normal stuff, you know, pre race routine. You know, I felt a little bit more emotional, I think, just because I knew it was my last one. Uh -huh. And I wanted to leave it all out there. But we came through the first lap, and I came through two whole seconds faster for 400 meters uh -huh. for the first 400 of any race I'd ever done before. Okay. Like, I normally would go through in about 108, 109, and I went through in 106. Mm hmm. And that felt effortless. Yeah. And the rest of the race felt that way. Wow. I can and it really I kind of spaced out for the middle portion. And you sure that wasn't just lack of oxygen? No, <laughs> no. Um, yeah, no. Like, and then I'd see the and then I see the finish line. And I see the time pop up, and you know it was four thirty-seven. I was like, holy crap! Like I, I did, did it. it. And you know I had little moments like I'd catch the clock and like you know knew where I was relative mm -hmm. to where I wanted to be. And each one was faster than I'd ever done before. Wow. Like, so I was very much in a flow state right there, and that was the most effortless mile I've ever run in my life. Yeah. Um, and that's where I would differentiate that between you know having been in the zone for that race than having been in a flow state. Wow. So. Yeah. And, and like you said, like it's not even just races. Like we can all oh yeah enter the flow with oh, like yeah. anything we're doing. Yeah. Which... Work. You know, school. I mean, you think of you know like just doing schoolwork and stuff like that is like you can kind of if you get into a good role you're Nothing's just kind of stopping you just, yeah you know you look up and it's already been five hours in the library and you're like right where oh. did the time go <laughs> like yeah. probably go to bed i but... wrote this i wrote like 10 pages yeah, exactly. didn't even know yeah. it. um which is why i wanted to get this episode out before finals start yeah. um there you go so everyone you know if they're listening to this while studying awesome but like you know if you can take something from this that's even better yeah and uh you know use this in your life okay i hope everyone's enjoying the episode so far we just want to take this quick break to shout out the health factory uh so do you have some things that people might want to do to help out so yeah right now the health factory is actually running its uh annual diaper drive so if you have any kind of um you know infant needs so yeah that being diapers formula things like that that you're willing to drop off um, just look up the health factory on Google and they'd be more than happy to take anything off your hands that you don't need and they got Instagram or anything so yeah there's also they're also on Instagram just literally the health factory um, just type that in at the health factory and you'll find them on the Instagram all right great let's get back to the episode you mentioned emotions during the race yeah um, I think now like people are at and this might just this is just my like idea I'm tossing out to yep. you. It feels like people are at a we want emotions out of sport. Like you are an athlete, we just want to see you perform. We yeah. don't care that like you're crying or like whatever. Like why why do you think there's like a disconnect from like 
athletes and emotions. And I, I think that comes not just the psychological or, you know, I think or metaphysical even. Like sure. I think that's a societal thing. Is like we see we see these athletes, you know, as superhuman a lot of the time, yeah. right? Like, especially, you know, bringing in, you know, ideas of, you know, mental health and things like that. Simone Biles, obviously. Right. Like, the greatest ever do it. Yeah. They literally banned some of her moves in competition <laughs> because she's the only oh, person on the planet that right. can do them. And yeah. people are getting hurt trying to yeah. do them. Um, and so it's like, and then seeing her, you know, pull out of the Olympics. And, that, and that's why I wanted you because it was her. There was that tennis player. Yep, yep. There are, I mean, Calvin Ridley before he got suspended yeah. <laughs> for other reasons. Yeah, for, yeah. But like, like more and more athletes are saying, "I need a mental health. I yeah. can't. I can't play right now. I can't. I can't do it." Yeah. And I know old heads are like, "Oh, yeah." They just don't know. Like, yeah. You know, Jordan yeah. couldn't do that or whatever. Like, Jordan took eighteen months off. So I mean, that's <laughs> that's all I got to say to that. Um, you know. But like, the, it is real. And yeah. athletes deal with it. Yeah. They are, you know, their bodies are in superhuman peak, yeah. but their minds are not. And um, so, like, when you meet athletes, like, what, what do you try to stress to, like, make sure they're still being taken care of in, like, a, a stigmatized yeah. role? So, yeah, I mean, and that just comes down to, because I do have, like, I'm not going to call it counseling training. Sure. I took a counseling course because that was required of me, you know, within this degree. Um, but that was super beneficial in just learning how to empathize with people and bring that empathy into an athletic space uh -huh. where, like you're saying, and, you know, like we see, athletes don't really get that a lot of times. Uh -huh. um, they are told, you know, when to wake up, when to eat, when to sleep, you know, these sorts of things. And just having, kind of being that voice, telling them, you know, be like, I want you to do what's best for you. Right. And so, and that's what we're finding a lot more of with these athletes is they're wanting to do what's best for them. Uh -huh. And what people fail to realize is that's, you know, just kind of for your own selfish entertainment value, that's good for you too. Yeah. That means they can probably prolong their career maybe another year or two. Sure. Taking off that one performance may have saved their entire career because mm -hmm. they don't feel burnout. They didn't go out there and, you know, tear an ACL or uh -huh. something trying to do a trick and their mind's not in the right place. Right. You know, like, these sorts of things have a lot more long-term lasting impacts than people kind of realize. It, I don't, I'm hesitant to say that they don't care. It's just that they don't really see the long-term. And then, obviously, they don't see all the, well, you know, 4 a.m. wake-up calls, right. you know, the late night. The, like the like, oh, my parents moved to Colorado so I could become an Olympian yeah. when I was two. Yeah. Or the like, I didn't get a high school experience because I had to go and train every day. Yeah. Or like, my friends in high school, I'm now competing against. Like, yeah. the, just because you want, like, I understand they're getting paid millions, yeah. possibly. That doesn't mean they're not people. No. And yeah. people have emotions feelings lives livelihoods yeah. um even you know your average high school athlete like someone who you know may make a college roster yeah you know but will never sign a pro contract right um they have to make sacrifices too right like at all levels you have to make sacrifices i can remember i only went to a couple of high school football games uh -huh. in my entire four years because races were on saturday mornings right I, I made that sacrifice. Usually our coach would let us have, you know, would take the weekend off of racing for, um, like, homecoming so I could go to homecoming Thank game. you, yeah. But 
I mean, and I, and I took advantage of that. And I mean, it doesn't bother me, but it was like one of those things that was like, you know, I realized I had to, where if I wanted to be as good as I wanted to be, I had to right. make sacrifices. And when we're talking about people who are becoming the .001% of human athletic mm-hmm. performance mm-hmm. ever, you know, these like Olympians, the sacrifices they're having to make on a daily basis. Right. Not just a weekly or, you know, a seasonal. Like, yeah. it is daily. Yeah. They're having to make sacrifices. And then, I mean, you think of, like, it's a lot more than just, oh, I can't go to, like, the Friday Night Lights game. You know, uh-huh. it's familial sacrifices. Well, Tom Brady know. just lost his whole family. There you go. Um, Ripped. Yeah. <laughs> and Sorry, I mean, Tom Brady. Yeah. And I'm that, trying to be sentimental, but I'm just thinking, <laughs> he literally gave, like, he, he literally lost gave his, his family marriage. Yeah. To play football because you have him on your fantasy team and you want him to play. Yep. <laughs> yep. So, and, but then it's like, and then people are, you know, calling him crazy stuff and it's like, but yet, you know, what, a year and a half ago you were berating Simone Biles right. for taking off for uh-huh. a couple of events. And guess what? She still came back. She's she did the team the event. Best in the world. She did the team event in yeah. the same Olympics that yeah. you were, you know, criticizing her um, for taking that step back. Yeah. Because she realized, you know, whatever it was for her, her mental health, physical health, all of the above, sure, was more important than you know any gold medal. Yeah. And I think it's, I think this is one of the only things people like. I, I hear this sometimes where it's like. Why do people care that much about sports? Why, why do people pay or devote their whole lives, get tattoos for yeah. a guy who can throw a ball kind of far? Yeah, and it's connection. It's cultures coming together. Yeah. The World Cup's going on right now. Yeah. There's everyone has the similar goal, and it's also like seeing people rise above. Yeah, seeing what we can do. Um, I know like athletes in particular who grew up. No parents, no friends, no whatever, no money, no chance of anything else besides sports. And yep. then they finally make it. Yep. Yep. And they can bring up other people and they can yep. be an inspiration and they can strive to try and make humanity better. Yeah. Forgive them for having one off game. Yep. Sorry. Yep. For having entire cultures on their back. Yeah. And I mean, like a perfect example I always think of is uh, Najee Harris. Uh former running back for Alabama, but now running back with the Pittsburgh Steelers, Steelers, grew up in, like, a kid's home. Uh Like, he basically grew up in, like, the little community center that, you know, was in his community. Um, And so now every chance he gets, he gives back to that. Right. It's like this this is someone, you know, and people, you know, can criticize, like, the American dream and all that Uh stuff. But it's like, I've always been, you know, this is another topic entirely, but I've always been one of those people, the American dream is, you know, is personal. It's your American dream. It's not right. someone else's. And so probably for Najee Harris, he's, you know, I don't want to put words into, you know, his mouth and, you know, his personality, but I would imagine he's living his American dream right, right now. He's, he's giving it. back to the place that probably saved his life on right. numerous occasions. So, I mean, you know, thinking about those things like, yeah, you can probably cut him a little bit of slack if he doesn't rush for 120 yards. Just yeah. that way you can be your bet. Your, your, <laughs> your, your buddy in, you know, fantasy this week. Yeah. Um. This is great. Um, I got a few quick fire episode or um, questions. Yeah. If you don't mind me shouting out, uh, we're towards the end here. I want to thank you once again for yeah, being on. No, thank you for having um, me. So these are these are some quick questions. If you just want to hit on them, yeah. 
First one, the line between confidence and cockiness. Yeah, um, I always say, you know, confidence is something where it's like a true a true belief in yourself and your own abilities. Cockiness is more of, you know, wanting to prove it to somebody else. Okay. You know, not necessarily proving it just to yourself, but it's basically all external okay. is what I would say. Like, and, and in your mind, like, we should all be challenging ourselves at yeah. the end of the day yeah. we want you should try and be your best yeah. real self you don't need to get f utah or whatever painted on yeah, your face. yeah. <laughs> it was and like... they get blown out you know <laughs> um but but and i think something else that comes along with that is like there's obviously it's a lot of like insecurity that comes uh-huh. with that and like and i think what you said right there like challenging ourselves not really wanting to you know put down other people sure you know it, you can tell when someone's confident, but you can also tell when someone's cocky as well. Yeah. Okay. Next quick question one. So, best coach in a movie. <laughs> I have some, if you need to think. Uh, someone that I'm loving right now. Not a movie, but TV show. Yeah. The Mustache Menace from Wichita, Ted Lasso. <laughs> probably the best epitome of yeah like mental health and sports oh, yeah. i love it Beautiful. so much um because he's not really a coach like he's just a guy yeah and, and but, he wants the best for people yeah he wants the best for people and that's what your coach should always want is the best for you i was um and set so, like man like actually me and my girlfriend are re-watching ted lasso yeah. right now getting ready for season three yeah, to come yeah. out and it's like some of the stuff that like comes up is like I'm getting mm-hmm. chills like just thinking about it right now like brings me like tears and stuff like that whenever I'm watching yeah. because it's just so the dart in- scene yeah. in the bar I watch that all oh, the time okay. I th- wow. I'll like look that up on YouTube just like if I need a little bit of a yeah. pick me up or a little fire in my so yeah it's funny you say that because my next question is like motivational speeches you got a speaker in mind you got a, a scene in mind I always just put on Michael Jordan stuff because yeah that man is always motivated yeah i mean and michael was one of those like he i mean if you've watched like the last dance like he didn't need anyone or anything he could find something he'd find something yeah which is phenomenal you know that's something that's rarely seen but um you know something that i've actually started looking more into is you know things like motivational speaking this is gonna be kind of a little bit of a longer answer I got if that's you. okay yeah, you're good. um but when we look at like motivation as a whole we want it to be more consistent we don't want it to have all these spikes right like if you think of the analogy of like a campfire you don't want you know to just immediately throw like massive logs on a fire mm-hmm. right you put a little kindling in there then a, you know some sticks so, yeah. then maybe a branch you know Let maybe some hot. smaller yeah. logs yeah. And what do you do from there? You just keep feeding it, right? Mm -hmm. You don't just sit there and start throwing gasoline on it. Um, Because, you know, that's how you burn things out, right? Right, You get these super high highs, super low lows. What I would rather see is just a nice wave, just Uh a nice gentle wave that, you know, a moderate Which has ups and downs. Yeah, it still has ups and downs. It's not, it's more constant. It's more consistent. And so motivational speaking i might you know i used to actually be really into it so to answer your question my favorite one was actually the uh the um, al pacino any given sunday <laughs> that was actually mine yeah. um that was a great one a lot of uh, eric brown was also great too 
uh, some of his stuff. Like my favorite, I, I want to say this was Eric Brown. I could be very wrong, but one of his lines was like, um, "The human spirit is powerful." Um, you know how hard it is to kill the human spirit. Mm-hmm. Like the human spirit can basically come back from anything. Right. And you know we look at people throughout history that have proven that basically right. Um, so I don't really do a whole lot of like rah rahing myself up with yeah, that yeah. now with like motivational speaking nowadays, just because I like to try to make sure that I'm keeping myself motivated right. and keeping myself at that consistent level. But yeah, nothing beats Al Pacino any yeah. given Sunday. Life's a game of inches, man. So. <laughs> All right, my last one for you yep. again. Um, the idea of like superstitions in sports. Okay. Any, any truth behind it, or is that again just like you want you want to feel your best? So if that means not washing your socks or whatever, like that's it, weird, but it's. <laughs> if that's something that gives you a little bit of extra peace of mind, sure, go for it. My thing is, don't be so uptight about your superstitions and routines that if there's a minor disruption, you're thrown off. Okay. So, like, even I still, I have my, my race day hat that uh-huh. I wear. It's, God, the thing is so old. But <laughs> it's, like, it's something I would bring out on race days. Uh-huh. I, you know, wear it backwards uh-huh. whenever I'm getting ready all morning, and I take it off after I'm, you know, getting ready to race. But um, someone that's, like, a great example of basically what not to do is, like, Blake Griffin. Okay. Um, he has basically every hour of the entire like twenty four hours leading up to a game like planned out, like mm. every like little detail. Yeah. And when you do that, your odds of things messing up and you know getting in the way are, you know, it's, it's going <laughs> to happen. And what happens whenever we're thrown off of our routine? We tend to you know falter a little bit. Mm-hmm. So having a more adaptable routine is a lot better than having, okay, I'm going to be, you know, getting my socks put on at, you know, 7.42 p.m. Uh-huh. for an 8, you know, for an yeah, 8.30 tip yeah. off, you know, it's like, okay, maybe tone that down a little bit. Maybe we put the socks on just whenever we feel like it, right, yeah. you know, but, okay. yeah. Well, those are the, the last of the questions I got for you. I really want to thank you again yeah, for no. coming on. <clears throat> Thank you for having me. Also, I just remembered, actually, the uh, third psychological oh. need. Um, saving it for the 45th minute, but if you want to go back and listen to that segment. Who, yeah. um, so hopefully you got this far and you can hear the third one, but it's autonomy, a feeling of independence, basically. So being able to you know, have you know, competency and you know, connectedness, but also autonomy. You mm-hmm. know, being able to feel like you can you know, approach coach or something, yeah. right? It's yeah. like, hey, you know, I'm... You know, not yeah. really sure about this workout. Maybe we sure. tone it out, tone it down a little bit. It's like, all right. If yeah. that, if that, if those three needs are being met, the odds of optimal performance yeah. are going to be much, much higher. Yeah, and that actually helps because I was about to do a quick wrap up. We talked about performance. We talked about flow. We talked about not only having your needs met yeah. for your body and, and taking care of it, but then also just making sure you're you're pushing yourself the right way. Um, taking care of yourselves and, and making sure you're you're getting the proper help that you need because, yep. you know, we're not superhumans. Yeah, no, 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 no one is. You know, no. um, Reggie Miller might have called Michael Jordan Black Jesus, but He's, you know, he, he still he, needed he, to eat three meals a day. He still needed and, to eat three meals yeah. a day, and you know, at one point, take you know, take a good break from basketball because he right. needed it. So yeah, we're, none of us are superhuman. I want to thank you for being on, Coach. Meant a lot. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank um, you. And that's what it's actually like being Coach Ludson. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a great time. All right, take care.
things you do.